We are ready to go. Hey, thank you guys for everybody coming here. I'm Dr. Lauber um, from uh, previously I was at RMCH and um, now I'm not doing anything except being here. So um, I will be establishing my own private practice with Dr. McKenzie. So I'm looking forward to seeing a lot of your faces uh, there as well. So thank you for being here on this um, Saturday. So we are going to be um, Turning this over to uh, uh, Mrs. Kalb, is that right? Yes, Rachel Kalb, who is going to be our facilitator from KGLP. Um, and so, oh, and you can see that she's um, occupied with all these wires and stuff like that. So, um, and we just really want to thank everybody for being involved. Um, Dr. Hoover here and his wife as well. Uh, they've been instrumental in doing all this stuff, so, and, and you as well. So thank you guys for being here. We really appreciate that. Um, all right, uh, Rachel, do you wanna? All right, here we are. Welcome to the uh, Health Workers Forum, uh, sponsored by the uh, local committee. Uh, as some of you may have seen and this morning's uh, Gallup Independent, uh, there was an article officially announcing the uh, joining of uh, local uh, health workers uh, to the uh, uh, Union of American Physicians and Dentists. That happened yesterday, I believe. Is that correct? Yes. And I uh, should note that the administration of RMCH was uh, invited uh, at least to, uh, to appear today in case they would wish to make a statement. Uh, I believe that Mr. Smithberg declined, but uh, at some point I can read a statement that was published in today's Gallup Independent from an article by managing editor Richard Reyes, who is also staff reporter there. Now, um, again, if you have not signed in up front, you may want to do so. Can anyone not hear me through this mask? Sure. You, you can hear me through the mask. Sort of. Is this better? Okay, well, I will go with uh, this then. All right. Um, the purpose of the meeting today, this town hall, is to discuss the current situation. Uh, of course, this didn't happen uh, over a short term. It's built up over many years. As you know, uh, RMCH has gone through a number of administrations over the years with varying degrees of success and controversy. They've had run-ins with the county commission over funding and certifications. But during the last uh, year and a half, as the pandemic came in, uh, affairs were exacerbated. And I'm sure that all the physicians and those present will be speaking to those issues. Let me introduce the panel again. Uh, Dr. Lauber did introduce himself. Um, Dr. Caleb Lauber, MD, was the uh, chief of staff 
at you and at uh, RMCH uh, starting at the beginning of this year, I think in January, and uh, he can speak to the issues that led to his departure from RMCH uh, as we go along. Rosemary Cicchini with the Peace and Justice Catholic Charities Organization uh, will be speaking, as will Joyce Graves. Uh, it says Gaines here. Is it? Oh, okay. Joyce Graves, uh, coordinator uh, of the volunteer program for New Mexico Cancer Center, and also one of the founders of uh, the New Mexico Cancer Society's Relay for Life events. At this point, we'll turn this over to Dr. Lauber to make his opening comments, uh, and uh, then we'll hand it over to Rosemary and Joyce. By 1 p.m., we hope that we will be ready for testimonials and sharing. Thank you. All right. Um, so I'm Caleb Lauber, and um, typically in Navajo, we always introduce ourselves by giving our clan and, and uh, what I usually say is, I come from Hauk. Uh, Arizona, just right over the border, and I've been brought up in this area all my life, and uh, so um, I was the uh, uh, physician who was involved in all this um, commotion here uh, by being terminated, and the reason that um, was given when I was terminated uh, under uh, Dr. S I'm, I'm under Don Smithberg was that it was a reduction in force. We needed a reduction in force. Now, the issue is, is that we don't have any Navajo physicians. We don't have any Navajo speaking physicians. And we really need Navajo speaking physicians. About 65% of the uh, patient population that goes over to RMCH are native people. And so the importance of having native people and, and having individuals that are caretakers is, is critically important. Um, can you guys hear me okay? Okay, all right. So, so it was uh, quite surprising when I was terminated. Now, I kind of have to give a background um, on this as to how this came about. So I, was, um, I, I have a background in business as well. I have my MBA. And one of the areas that I studied um, extensively was looking at organizational structure, specifically looking at board and CEO and administration and their interaction and how is the best way to you know, carry out uh, the relationship in a hospital organization. And um, uh, being on the board, allowed me to uh, raise questions. Now, one thing that you need to know about the board is that typically in a setting um, like this, the board oversees the CEO. And the CEO, of course, was Don Smithberg. And I was on that uh, board as the chief of staff. So I was able to ask questions and, and you know, kind of inquire about certain things, bring up issues of concern specifically patient safety concerns. They were a big issue. Um, and, uh, and what happened was that I had applied for the CEO position as well. So I kind of presented myself, I think, as a threat uh, um, uh, to that organization there. 
and uh, subsequently I was terminated. And the reason that I was terminated was a reduction in force, like I had said. Um, in the papers initially, there was no reason. I did sign an at-will contract, which means that I can be fired for a reason or no reason at all. So in any case, the thing is, is that um, when this was taking place, I, um, the, the henchman that came about and was um, uh, terminating individuals was Sam Eddy. And uh, I asked Sam, I said, what, who's going to take my place? Who's going to see these Navajo-speaking patients? Who's going to talk to them? He shook his shoulders, and he didn't know. He didn't have an answer for that. I said, who is going to be teaching the residents um, about Indian health care and the business behind Indian health care? Who's going to be doing that? Um, and again, he shook his shoulders, and he, he, he couldn't answer that question. So. It was very discouraging, and I knew, um, I heard um, um, after Andrea Walker, Dr. Andrea Walker from OB as well, was an individual who was gonna be terminated and she resigned just prior to that. Um, and she had informed me, hey, you know, I think that you and I are gonna be fired. So I was, I was aware of this, and when it did come to fruition, it was very discouraging. I felt like I was abandoning the patients and uh, it was just a really sad thing. Um, um, I received a lot of support from the community. Many individuals had contacted me and told me, I can't believe this, why is this happening? And uh, it, was, it was very discouraging. And I think that the, the administration, um, Don Smithberg, really felt this. And uh, subsequently, he started giving excuses. Um, well, uh, this was a personnel issue that had developed, and, and these issues had uh, come about as to that there was a reason for my uh, termination. So in, in any case, the issue was is that it was, it was really, um, it was very discouraging because I really wanted to be at RMCH because of the residency program. I've been teaching at residency programs since 1994. So I've had a long history of teaching. And, and I think it's really important to uh, have instruction from a native person being brought up on the reservation because I was brought up we didn't have running water when I was a little kid and being brought up on the res and even to this day I still live out on the reservation so a lot of these issues and concerns that are really important to patient care good patient care are really important to educate the residents so um, so that was the way that that had transpired and of course that got me really involved in in the hospital itself and when um, I was terminated and I felt it was very unfair reasons, whatever that reason was, that I was terminated, you know, had occurred. Um, uh, I, I have been involved in, in administrative type of issues and in this case, I felt, in my own personal opinion, I felt that Don Smithsburg uh, really did a horrible disservice, not only to the community, but to the native people that I was serving as well. So I came back here to uh, work um, on the Navajo Reservation as well, and, um, and again, to teach as well. 
one thing that we had done was worked really hard to bring the residency program here and Dr. Wrangler was just so instrumental in that. And it was discouraging when a set of things had occurred once uh, the terminations had started. Um, the OB department was in jeopardy and now, as you know, has um, no longer exists. And uh, that hurt the HEAL fellowship program um, as well. And there's a number of domino effects that happen. We lost a number of nurses that were awesome nurses from that area. And, um, and the HEAL fellowship program that trains OB docs in, in living in rural areas and all about rural medicine. So those issues um, came to fruition and one of the um, uh, docs, Dr. Ann Erickson, who was here, and her fiance was also a doc, uh, a fellowship-trained ER physician over at GIMCER. So when the HEAL fellowship, the OB fellowship, um, no longer existed, what happened was that both of those individuals left. So it hurt our community again. Um, the residency program requires an OB program to be present and to be functioning. And now that the OB uh, group is not there, it puts the residency program in jeopardy. In order to get physicians out into this rural area, which is really hard to do, we need to have a residency program that teaches uh, these kids because they're the ones that are going to be staying here and remaining here in this area to take care of us. So. Um, um, I'm going to pass this on, but the main thing that I want you guys to know and to really feel this is that this is your hospital. This hospital is, um, uh, the hospital building itself is run and managed by the county. Through your tax dollars, you pay for this. And this is our hospital. So we can continue to let it be um, the hospital that it is with the oversight in disarray. And I'm one that doesn't want to stand for that. And the thing that I always say is that the best predictor of future behavior is uh, past behavior. Um, some individuals want to uh, work with the CEO, which sounds like a good idea. But when you look at the history of the CEO, you're finding out that he's a closer. And my concern when I was on the board was that he wanted to close the hospital. And in the back of my mind, I was thinking, does he want to sell the hospital to some group that could buy this hospital for pennies on the dollar? So, and that would allow the hospital to be sold to whomever. I don't know if it's his organization or, or whatnot. In, in any case, the thing is, is that that's, that's the way that I feel. This is my opinion, these are my words. And um, it's, it's unfortunate what has transpired because it really does hurt a number of individuals. So anyway, uh, so that's my um, story. Good afternoon, everyone. I'm uh, Rosemary Cicchini, a Marino sister, and I'm director of the Office of Peace, Justice, and Creation, working with Catholic Charities of the Gallup Diocese. And I've been a resident of Gallup in New Mexico here, uh, McKinley County, for the past 25 years. And I have also received quality health care at RMCHCS during this time, for which I am deeply grateful. As a member of our Gallup community, I am also deeply concerned about the underlying causes of the health crisis 
at RMCHCS, which has been covered extensively in the news. The most recent, as you all know, is the article about the abrupt shutdown of the labor and delivery unit with only short notice. There have been prior reports of dangerous patient care conditions that resulted from the layoffs that uh, Dr. Laura has uh, outlined for you, of nearly 100 local healthcare staff and workers uh, due to community hospital corporations' extreme cost-cutting measures. As you have learned, medical staff have been fired or forced to resign for speaking out about the problems, the injustices, and creating a culture of fear due to reprisals by management of community hospital corporation. Now these management practices resulted in the hospital being so ill-prepared to meet the challenges uh, from this ongoing COVID-19 pandemic. Apparently, as is very clear to all of us, the business-first administrative management model being implemented by a community hospital corporation is proving to be incompatible with and detrimental to the faith-based value system of quality patient care that's been operative since the foundation of RMCHCS as expressed in its mission statement. And I quote, the mission of RMCHCS is to serve God by making a profound and lasting difference in the health and quality of life for all people in the community. Now, it may be helpful for us to briefly review the historic roots of RMCH's founding to highlight the clash of value systems which are now clearly apparent in public view. Rehoboth McKinley Christian Healthcare Services was formed by the merger of two hospitals, the Rehoboth Christian Hospital and McKinley General Hospital in 1983. However, each of these institutions were started in the early 1900s. Rehoboth Mission Hospital was started in 1910 at the Rehoboth Mission Station east of Gallup by Protestant missionaries of the Christian Reformed Church to serve the health needs of Native Americans. In 1916, the Poor Sisters of St. Francis took over a small infirmary for railroad workers. In 1918, the sisters moved to staff the new St. Mary's Hospital in Gallup and then in 1969, they moved over to the newly built McKinley General Hospital. In the early 1980s, the boards of the two hospitals realized that without combining resources efficiently, neither of the hospitals could survive financially. So in November 1983, representatives from Rehoboth Christian Hospital and McKinley General Hospital signed an historic agreement to merge the two independent medical facilities in order to create Rehoboth McKinley Christian Hospital, which later became Rehoboth McKinley Christian Healthcare Services. 
The faith-based value system operative in the foundation of RMCHCS has continued through the years and has been evident in the quality care provided by dedicated, well-qualified doctors, nurses, technicians, and hospital staff. And we recognize some of those values as compassionate care, upholding the God-given human dignity and human rights of each person. Justice, equity, and trustworthiness. And it may be encouraging for all of us to remember and incorporate these values in the process of promoting a just, lasting resolution to this current healthcare crisis. Some of us have made, have taken for granted this local community hospital, not realizing how essential RMCHCS is for the people of Gallup and McKinley County. RMCHCS provides care for patients throughout a 60-mile radius, and except for the 25-bed crisis um, access hospital in Grants, RMCHCS is the only significant civilian hospital for 120 miles. Community hospitals remain the powerhouses of public health in rural areas such as McKinley County, where 32% of people live below the poverty line. And this is according to the 2019 U.S. Census. So RMCHCS is tied to our local Gallup community, providing employment, relying on the small businesses for services and supplies, bringing revenue to these small businesses, and boosting our local economy. We're all stakeholders and beneficiaries, and we all have a part to play. We have a voice in contributing toward a promoting, uh, promoting a permanent just solution. So there are a number of things that we might be able to do in our packet today. We received a flyer which points out what we may do to address transparency, oversight, and local community considerations. So there are examples for us, and uh, all of us can take ownership for this hospital that has been so instrumental, so important in the lives of our individuals, our families, and our entire community. Thank you. Yes, good, mor good morning. <clears throat> My name is Joyce Graves, and I am a three-time cancer survivor. And I volunteer at the Cancer Center and run the volunteer program over there. I've been asked today to come and speak a little bit about what a difference it's going to make to our cancer patients if our hospital closes or if they cut back on services. Before I do that, I would like to read a letter that Dr. Barbara McEnany uh, sent um, just last night. Uh, she could not be here today, but um, she's was the one instrumental in bringing the Cancer Center to us, to our community. So <clears throat> she said, um, in 2007, they came to our community. We wanted to bring state-of-the-art medical oncology, radiation oncology, and now rheumatology to the Gallup area residents. We are in an independent practice, which means that we don't receive government support for work 
at any hospital, for any hospital. However, we are not independent of all the other physicians in our community. Taking care of patients is a team effort. We cannot take care of patients with cancer problems or, or arthritis without the efforts of the other doctors. We need primary care doctors to partner with us to make the diagnosis and to help us manage the complications of cancer and its treatment. We cannot do what we do without surgeons, pathologists, radiologists, and countless others. And we, and we can cannot care for our patients without the hospital staffed with doctors and supporting staff, staff to help us. The services, okay, they cannot take care of the cancer patients without the hospital staff, doctors, and support staff to help us. The services that RMCH provides not only for the cancer center, but for the local community and surrounding communities are vital in keeping our patients uh, close to their home and preventing them from having to travel to other facilities to receive care. We are dedicated, um, we are dedicated and committed to providing care to the people of the Gallup area. We implore that the community try to work with the state and independent practices in Albuquerque and with anyone willing to help to bring the doctors to the area and to keep the doctors in our community. New Mexico Oncology Hematology Consultants at the Gallup Cancer Center stands with you in this effort and commits that we will work with you to build a stronger medical community. So, I'm really here to talk about the nitty-gritty of what's going to happen. Um, <clears throat> if you um, think you have a, a cancer diagnosis, you cannot just go over to the cancer center and see an oncologist. You have to have a referral. And most of the times that referral comes from your primary physician. If we do not have the hospital or the doctors here, you're going to have to go to Albuquerque, Farmington, Phoenix, wherever. So that means more time. It is crucial if you have a cancer diagnosis to get this diagnosed and start your treatment as early as possible. I know you keep hearing commercials and seeing ads about early detection is the key, and that is imperative that we do that. So um, getting referrals is important. Before a patient has their uh, chemo treatment, they have to have lab work. And usually for our patients, they have this done the day of their treatment. They come in, they get their lab work done, it's sent over to the hospital uh, to get the lab work done and comes back and says, okay, the patient can have their chemo today, their blood counts are all right. If we don't have the hospital, we don't have the facilities, then we can't get the lab work done. People cannot have their chemo. That means they have to travel to Albuquerque or somewhere else. And again, we're talking time. We all know how difficult it is to get an appointment like in Albuquerque with a specialist this would be even worse. Um, and then the, um, I'm sorry, I went blank. Oh, screenings. The other uh, important thing is um, many times cancer patients need an MRI or a CAT scan. And, okay, it's important that uh, sometimes the patients have a CAT scan or an MRI. And if we do not have those facilities, this is not going to happen. Uh, just recently, I was told that for uh, women getting mammograms, the hospital is still doing 
um, just standard mammograms, screening mammograms, but uh, because of some flood that happened, and I did not know about a flood at the hospital, but it damaged one of the machines, and so diagnostic mammograms are not going to be able to be given. Uh, whether they can fix this or how long it will take is unknown. For someone like myself who uh, does have to have a diagnostic mammogram um, this month, I am going to have to go to Albuquerque or somewhere to get that diagnostic. So you go to a new place, and again, we're talking time. How long is it going to take to get that appointment? And then I have to get to Albuquerque. And as we all know with this construction right now, that's a headache too. Um, so there's just a multiple of things that cancer patients have to go through. Um, and not only cancer patients, but that's my main purpose right now, is to try to work something out where our cancer patients do not have to struggle with other things too. It's enough to just have to deal with your diagnosis and your treatment and to survive that. We cannot spend our time and energy on other things that we have no control over. So we need to stand together as a community and see what we can do. Thank you. Okay, thank you very much, Joyce, Rosemary, Dr. Lauder. Um, if everyone's uh, open to this, I, according to the working agenda, we are looking at uh, opening up for the Q&A. We got a, a little bit of a late start, waiting for everyone to come in. But uh, at this point, um, if anyone would like to ask a question, uh, we would ask that you come up to this microphone, rather than us bringing microphones to you. Um, if you are having physical challenges, raise your hand, and if you want to share, and I'll bring a microphone to you. Otherwise, we ask that you come up here and, and speak in this microphone. Uh, yes, sir. Okay. Come on up. Introduce yourself, please. By the way, I'm Rachel Cobb uh, from KGLP. With me is Emma Farley, handling the tech and the, and the, the recording. Um, go ahead and introduce yourself, sir. My name is Larry Smith. I'm, I'm a local resident all my life. Uh, I have a two-part question. One of them is, what do you folks or the rest of the people in this room have any ideas how to fix this problem at RMCHCS? One reason is this problem has not been recently. This has been going on for years and years and years, and we keep getting CEOs, acting CEOs in here, money flying out the door. I worked there for five years after I retired from my business. I know what it takes to run a business. I watched money go out the windows like you could not believe. $100 bills, $1,000 bills going out the windows, wasted. When I worked there, there was problems with health, the building itself not being repaired. I was in the plant operations end of it, electrician there. I watched all these things happen. I would catch a CEO sneaking in the back end of the building on the east side, trying to avoid all the people that's working there. Noticing the people when I was working up in the administration area that would come in wrinkled clothes, belts undone, 
they'd partied the night before. It was inevitable that that's what was happening. So my question was, and I'll take, try to get it shortened up. One of them is, what is it going to take? We can't keep hiring these guys like this that's here now. Number two, when is this going to stop? Even though we're still looking for a CEO, the board is the CEO's boss. So if we can't find a board that is going to act knowledgeable, they don't necessarily have to be in business to be smart and run a hospital. So we got to fix this problem. Otherwise, we are not going to have a hospital. They can't continue. When I worked there, they were uh, past due on hundreds and hundreds of bills. From the city of Gallup down to people that supplied materials to them. Could not get it operating utensils. They were supposed to be get sterilized. They could not get those. I mean, this goes, I could tell you a hundred million stories. Dr. Labra was my doctor. And I'm going to tell you what, this community better keep him. Better keep him. Thank you. Uh, Dr. Labra? Yeah, um, uh, I definitely have a response to this, and I think it's really important to look at the past. You know, what have we had? We've had businessmen coming in and overseeing the hospital, and there was a recent um, article that was published in Harvard Review, and it looked at physicians becoming administrators. More and more, we're having more physicians going into business, getting their MBAs, and one thing that has been proven is that these physician administrators have been doing a really good job. They know how, they, the, the most important thing is that they're used to dealing with hard questions, dealing with life and death issues. We know about patient cycle time, throughput issues, um, uh, 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 being aware of the struggles, the adversities, the time and energy and effort that it takes to get you know, from your home to the clinic. Those simple things mean a lot because they're fatiguing to an individual who is undergoing cancer chemotherapy treatment and are absolutely exhausted. You know, they're cachectic, they've lost a lot of weight, they're fatigued, and they're traveling from here to Albuquerque takes a long time. From here to Farmington takes a long time. So that's the reason why I think that the answer to this is that the current administration has failed. They've shown that they're not capable of being able to manage things that really need appropriate managing. And I think it's high time for physicians to come out as uh, administrators and believe me we have individuals Dr. Wrangler we have Dr. Lawrence Andrade as well in the community that are excellent directors um, and I think we really need to take advantage of these individuals there are individuals you know Dr. Hoover that ask questions appropriately and and those things are concerning to the community individuals that are going to do the best jobs are individuals that are residing in the community that have a desire to do a good job for the community because this is their home 
So when we get individuals that are located in Kansas City, like Smithburg, you know, there's, it's not a big deal, and eh, I'm not going to be there. Those people are podunk people, and, and you know, I'm going to be out of there anyway. So, and, and that's the idea that I, I, I feel when, you know, talking to him and getting to know him. So, in, in any case, we're on a downward uh, trail right now, and we really need to rectify this issue, and in my opinion, is I think that we need to extricate the administration that's currently um, present at RMCH. Thank you, Dr. Lauber. Uh, Rosemary, Joyce, or anyone from the attending uh, folks, uh, any additional comments on this particular topic? One of the things that I want to point out is that there have been explorations in the past, since the merger of the two hospitals in 1983, uh, to look at a merger with a larger network. For instance, uh, UNMH in Albuquerque and, and others. Uh, ultimately, uh, Dr. Lauber and others, uh, do you see that it might be essential to find that hospital network to merge with in order to address some of the deficiencies of this independent hospital? Well, I, I think that one way or another, we're, we definitely need support. Um, there are some benefits to merging. Um, one fearful factor that I'm afraid of is that when you do have individuals that are coming in from another area is that you disrupt uh, service to the community by having one dock and then the next week another dock and the next week another dock. So that's the downside as far as care is concerned. However, there are areas that we really do need um, help in so that we can refer people to you know those specialists. The primary issue that is going to keep people here and to receive good care is having good primary care physicians, individuals that are family practitioners, internal medicine, pediatrics, OB, those individuals are crucial to having good service. That way, if we do have other individuals coming in from outside, we can at least keep consistency so that we can take really good care of the patients. So that's critical. And I think, you know, that, that kind of is one component or of the answer there. So, and, and I, I reach out to you guys. I see some of my colleagues out here, you know, and I'd really like you to give your input as well. Again, we are open for questions and uh, general discussion. Uh, by about 1 o'clock, we hope to open it up for testimonials, and depending on how long that takes, there might be opportunities for more. Is there anyone else that would like to come up to the microphone or needs me to bring a microphone to them? Um, Rachel, I just had one quick... Yes, go ahead. Turn just, on... Go ahead. It's on. Um, I'm Dr. Liu. I'm one of the local physicians here. I don't work at RMCH, but... I will say that in the few years that I've been here, I think that one of the other things that would be really important to preventing um, something like this from reoccurring is um, more transparency. I think that there needs to be more transparency on the part of the board of directors, more transparency on the part of the executive leadership, and more of an expectation that they answer to the communi community and not the other way around. And uh, Dr. Liu, thank you. Uh, Dr. Liu, um, the organizers uh, distributed 
uh, what is called an ask document earlier. Do you want to speak to that? Sure. So um, the local physicians here who work at RMCH um, in concert with other community members put together a list of um, requests that they are making of the board of directors and they are asking the community to call the board of directors, the executive leadership and local politicians. Um, you know, there will be a list of those folks that we will ask you to call and what we are asking for is um, several, uh, three things. So we're asking for greater transparency. Um, we're asking for um, local, local consideration. So consideration of local issues and more of a local focus. And um, and more, um, sorry, what was the, um, oh, and uh, better oversight. So more of an expectation that there will be strong oversight um, on the part of the board of directors um, over uh, executive leadership and the, running, the way that the hospital runs. So transpar better transparency, stronger oversight, and local consideration of um, issues. And if these related documents can be shared on Facebook later, that would be good. Uh, I would offer that KGLP can post documents such as the Ask document to our website. You can scroll down to the PSAs and events section for that, and we'll keep those up for a while, for say the next month, so that people have a chance to get them, and we can post those to Facebook. So we have. Uh, you want to introduce yourself, Gerald, and ask your question. Uh, my name is Gerald O'Hara, and I think I can be heard even with the mask. <clears throat> Anyone here on the staff of the hospital? You might recognize the knee. <laughs> you might recognize the knee. I just had a partial knee replacement uh, three weeks ago. Turned out really well, too. Um, I'm pretty well known in my uh, position on the ills of RMCH. I've written letters to the editor. I've been involved with other people in the community. There is no perfect solution to anything involving humans. Is there a, a quirk in being part of a network? I'm sure there is, but there are more benefits in being part of a network than any other scheme that you can put together. Uh, it's been pointed out a number of times that uh, these problems at RMCH have been going on for years. We all know that. But what's, how do you get to the nut of how it came to be? The board is part of the problem. For one thing, in the past it was way too big. I know a little bit about boards. And if you have more than 9 to 11 people on a board, it becomes too dysfunctional. You can also have too few people. The board for RMCH was 13, as, as I recall. The other problem was, in my opinion, and I'll stand on my opinion, is that it was populated with too many people who were there to build their resume, their community resume. They weren't really interested in seeing things work properly. They weren't interested in studying the issues evaluating the, the staff, the CEO, the management uh, structure. They were there to enjoy the dessert and build their community resume. But what is the outcome of that? 
We keep getting the same solution time after time after time. Management companies. It doesn't matter if it's an interim CEO or someone operating under a contract. That is the problem because they are from outside and they have no interest in anything other than their own corporate profit margin. And they're going to drain money out of the community. And that's what's been going on. But what did Einstein have to say about doing the same thing over and over again, but expecting a different result? And that's what this board has been doing. I will advocate clearly and forcefully we should be part of a network. There are too many uh, positive elements of having a, a hospital here that's part of a bigger network. I prefer UNM uh, Medical Center, but it could be Loveless, it could be Presbyterian. As long as it's a part of a network, you get a whole bunch of positives out of that. And to address the one thing that you alluded to, you don't get doctor after doctor after doctor. The way it works with a network is, particularly here, is it, let's say it's UNM. We become part of UNM's network. UNM puts out, they have an opening in Gallup, they have one in grants or wherever else they have centers. They have openings and they advertise for those openings in the appropriate journals and, and uh, uh, places where you, you would look for a doctor or a head nurse or whatever. Point being, they do the outreach. And then a doctor comes in, oh, I, I'm, I'm interested in this. I'm interested in being part of UNM. Okay, the opening is in Gallup, New Mexico. And that is an, and we've had this, this experience in Gallup. We, we're not strangers to this attitude. Oh my God, Gallup, New Mexico, what a pit. I don't want to live there. You either go there for three years or you don't get the position. That is the way a network center works. You don't get doctor after doctor, as you alluded to. And, and I'll be uh, clear about why I prefer UNM. It's because we have a campus right across the street where they could, participate in setting up a, a nurse's program, a medical assistant program, et cetera. That becomes part of the synergy of, of having a network. Jerry, um, we're running we're out of time. It's after I, one, I'm, so. I'm sorry, but. Can you wrap like in the next uh, yeah. seconds to a minute? Yeah. So at any rate, I will continue to bring that to the, to the floor of any discussion. We need to be part of a network. Let's abandon this notion of management companies coming from Kansas City or Dallas or wherever they come from. It's been a failed approach across the country, not just here. It has failed everywhere in the United States, and it's for the same reason. They look at a, a local rural hospital as a source of, of cash. Jerry, thank you very yeah. much. Let's, let's let uh, Dr. 
Lover or anyone else who'd like to speak, uh, respond. Chris? Uh, yeah, thanks for those uh, comments. Um, I can speak to two of those points. My name is Chris Hoover. I'm the urologist, the only one in McKinley County. Um, so uh, point number one, um, which I, you bring up, is that the, the board is, is where the buck stops. That's where it's supposed to stop, right? And there is absolutely no transparency. We're not privy to the board agenda or minutes. I'm a staff member at the hospital. I don't get to see those things. My quote unquote elected representative to the board, not someone that I elected, but is the chief of staff. That's my only avenue, the appropriate avenue, I guess, to bring up issues, to bring up issues to the board, to the administration. That's, that's the, the correct channel. So number one, I don't trust the guy that's in the job now, which is why I didn't vote for him. But number two, the person that was in that job was Dr. Caleb Lauber, who I trust with my life. Some of you may be his patients or may have been his patients. You trusted him with your life too. He asked hard questions of the administration, of the hospital, of its history. And now he's not employed there anymore. To me, one plus one equals two, or in this case, one minus one equals zero. So now, I'm ashamed to say, maybe it's because of ignorance, I don't know who's on the board, except for, as I mentioned, the chief of staff, the quote-unquote elected representative that I have, that I can't trust. That's point number one, the board. We, as people living in Gallup, our families in Gallup, starting our families in Gallup, we have to hold the board accountable for our hospital. How can we do that without transparency? That's why my wife, Dr. Liu, mentioned that you guys can write letters to the editor like you've done. But you can also call your elected officials. You could call, doctor, uh, call uh, Mayor Bonaguidi. So I used to call everybody doctor. Um, right? We need, to, we need to find some way to get the board to be held accountable so that we don't keep repeating these issues. The second point I want to bring up is I, I think it's totally worthwhile to keep in mind being part of a network. My last job outside of Boston, was that exact same situation. A major hospital network in Boston bought a satellite facility south of Boston, hired a bunch of good docs, and that's all they did. They didn't provide anything else. They didn't provide any administrative support. They didn't try and help the hospital work better. All they wanted to do was fill patient rooms, fill operating rooms, and make a buck. The same thing everybody else wants to do. So I think, as Dr. Lauber has alluded to, I think a better solution is to look within. See if we can come up, not with somebody local from Albuquerque, not with somebody local from the Southwest who's dealt with community rural hospitals before, but somebody local here who really cares about this community. 
who's been here their entire life. Maybe they're the third generation person. Maybe they've got kids who are in school here, right? Somebody who cares about here, cares about me, cares about my family, my kids, my neighbors, cares about my patients. That's what I think we need. Thank you, Dr. Lauber. Uh, now, I have... We have one more question uh, yeah. at the mic, and then I'm going to have a question from Zoom. My name is Andrew Sweats. I'm not a medical professional. These people are a lot... A lot of these folks here are medical professionals. You guys know how to run the hospital, not me. But uh, if you're going to have... Uh, uh, I don't speak a lot like this. Uh, if you're going to have professionals come in here and you're going to convince them to stay, you got to have two things. You got to have, well, three actually. You got to have a nice place for them, them to work. That's your guys' job. You got to have a nice place for them to learn or uh, have their kids learn. That's somebody else's job here in town. And uh, we also got to clean up Gallup. I'm not going to say anything about the. Uh, alcohol problem we got here. Now you say, what does that have to do with the hospital? The doctors come in, they bring their cute little families in, and they want to raise them up here. They're going to send them to school. What school are they going to send them to? We are not at the top of the list for schools to raise a family at. That's something we got to have the corporation, the, the uh, city involved with. And these little ladies are not going to want to be walking around, going up to uh, these different restaurants and these places where there is such a, a, a bad alcohol problem. You guys know what it is. I know what it is. Anybody walked in this room knows what it is. We gotta work on that. We can work on the hospital. We gotta get the city council. When I saw council in here, I said, oh gosh, I hope it's city. We gotta get on the city council's thing. If they wanna grow this company or this, this uh, company. Uh, Jim, let me interrupt you. Do you have a question? No, that's just it. I wanted to make sure I got a chance to say that. I'm out of here. Thank All you. Right, thank you. All right, uh, one last question. This is from Zoom, and at the risk of uh, playing into Dr. Lauber's earlier comments, uh, Dr. Lauber, you did put your head in the, the ring for a potential position as CEO of RMCH. So here's the question from Zoom. Uh, and it's not, uh, this is not rigged, uh, this is what was handed to me. From a Zoom audience question, is there a qualified candidate for CEO in the community? Testing. Testing. Um, I, I think that there is. Um, remember that a CEO um, is born, has a natural knack to leadership. And um, not everybody can be a CEO, but the thing is, is that individuals grow as they learn. And like I had previously said, I think that Dr. Um, um, uh, Dr. Lawrence Andrade, uh, who expressed interest in being uh, the CEO, as well as Dr. Wrangler, and even others as well um, have expressed an interest in being the CEO. I think it takes a lot of experience being around the patient population, knowing the city, knowing these issues that were brought up. They're, they're very valid concerns, of course, especially if you're raising your family here. But I do think that there are individuals that 
um, can become a CEO. And remember that when you're in the CEO position or leadership position, it's not just you that's making these decisions. It comes from a whole number of individuals, the board, the administration, the community. Um, that's where the ideas come from when talking about fundraising, about these issues that are really important and critical to the hospital. That's, where, that's one reason why transparency is critical. It's getting information from individuals who have had experience, you know, who have had businesses, who know the ups and downs of these things and who knows what will work and, and doesn't work. So I, I, I think that, you know, from my perspective, that's what I see. All right, uh, we are, now I, we really can't take any more questions right now. We're, we're behind schedule and we do want to get into testimonials. If there is time later, we can open it up for a few more questions, but I think at this point, we do need to move into testimonials. Now, um, is Pam Yardley here? Are you going to be reading Susan Palachek's statement? Is anyone here going to be reading? Are you going to be reading Susan's statement? Yes, sir. Okay. Uh, before, before Pam comes up, I have just a, uh, a brief uh, excerpt of uh, Richard Reyes' article from this morning on the uh, joining of the UAPD union by area physicians. And this is the statement released from RMCH uh, on behalf of interim CEO Don Smithberg. I will start with that since we don't have RMCH admin here that I know of. So here is the official response to unionization, uh, establishment of collective bargaining unit. We greatly respect and appreciate our physicians and the important role they play in providing quality care in our community. Our hospital has experienced a challenging couple of years as we navigated a global pandemic and worked to stabilize our operations and improve the long-term sustainability of the hospital. We know our healthcare workers have felt these challenges in a particularly acute way. Their commitment to the community and the RMCHCS team has been steadfast and inspiring. The National Labor Relations Board will soon certify the RMCHCS Physicians UAPD Union, and we are prepared to begin communicating with the union in good faith. Despite our concerns, union formation could create a roadblock for valuable communication. We share the physician's goal of ensuring RMCHCS remains a vital, essential resource for Gallup. So with that, uh, Pam, if you would like to share Susan Palachek's um, testimonial. I might add that Susan, Susan is one of the nurses that we are losing very, very soon. Um, my name is Susan Palachek. I have been a registered nurse for 16 years. In 2006, when I graduated from UNM with my nursing degree, Many students wanted to work for RMCH. Our desire was to provide care to patients in a loving, happy environment that we witnessed in our clinical rotations. I was fortunate to be welcomed into the Women's Health Unit immediately after graduation, and I became part of a new family. I was proud to be part of a place that patients chose to come to because of the care we provided and the compassion we shared. Our days of nurses were filled with many joys and times of sadness. We picked each other up when we were down and celebrated with each other when things were grand. 
The fantastic nurses at RMCH have helped my career blossom and trained me to be knowledgeable as a nurse. My career has advanced immensely, and in January 2021, I was approached by administration to be the Director of Women's Services at RMCH. Although short-lived, this is a title I'm proud to have held. I knew it wasn't going to be easy as we all foresaw the staffing shortages and lived through disparity in trying to fill the holes in the schedules. As Director, I made myself available for the patients as well as the staff on a 24-hour, seven-day-a-week basis and I was needed a lot of that time. I covered holes that others could not cover and provided assistance when extra hands were needed. These countless hours were done without monetary compensation and were not recognized by administration other than an occasional laminated safety huddle award. As nurses, myself included, we grew tired, but care we provided never faltered. We felt our cries for help fell on deaf ears. Administration provided excuses instead of assistance. We were forced to close our postpartum unit in hopes that it would help with the staffing crisis. This state of exhaustion, stress, and lack of support from administration forced many nurses, both permanent staff and travelers, to leave. On August 3rd, I stepped down as director and chose to serve as a full-time floor nurse once again. However, this decision didn't make a difference. Existing nurses felt they were vastly unsupported more than ever. Unsafe decisions were continuously made by administration. This travesty of disrespect and unsafe attitude by administration has offered the family I once knew. Over my career, our number of nurses working have shrunk from a strong 18 to a devastating three. And now our unit has been forced to close its doors. Once again, administration barely blinks an eye. As nurses, we don't take this lightly. Our world is crashing down around us. The patients we have grown to know and loved are, faced, are forced to share the welcoming of their child with strangers. With the women's health care unit closing, fear is brought to the public. Many wonder where they will get their care as they age where they will take their children when they are sick, or who will hold their hands as they take their final breath? Will they be forced to leave their homes and seek health care in other cities? These choices are forced to be made now by the community because of the administration at RMCH, an administration that doesn't and will never hold ties in Gallup and have no intention to stay here long term. Thank you. Thank you, Pam, and that was a reading. That was a reading of a testimonial from uh, Susan Palachek. Uh, is it a question you have? I, I no, no. Hold on. Is this a share, sir? Yeah. Uh, well, let's wait until we've read the. We're going to read some uh, pre-submitted ones, and then we'll. You're the first in queue. Okay? okay. You'll be the first up. All right. Uh, we're now going to have KGLP's Emma Farley read two testimonials. One from. A health worker Beatrice Nunez and then uh, from a patient Tiffany Sacido. This first one is from Beatrix Nunez who can't make it with us today. To the community of Gallup, New Mexico and the surrounding areas. My concern over the closing of the birthing center at RMCHCS 
has prompted me to write this statement. I am also in support of the physicians who have been advocating for patient safety and transparency from the RMCHCS administration. I started my career in nursing in 1983 in what was then McKinley General Hospital and was employed by the birthing center until December 2020. I have been a bedside nurse, house supervisor, and unit manager. I have taught neonatal resuscitation, childbirth education classes, and have served as a clinical educator for nursing students. I have been employed at Red Rock Clinic since January 2021, delivering nursing care to obstetrical patients. I returned to the organization because I was excited to work with Dr. Andrea Walker. She had many exciting ideas for improving processes at the clinic. But she is no longer with the organization because of lack of support from administration. The lack of adequate staffing and support for reasonable requests to administration prompted me to leave the department, patients, and committed colleagues that I loved before I was actually prepared to leave. I felt that the stress was exacerbating a health issue that I was reluctant to disclose. I still grieve for the times when myself and the devoted and competent team of nurses were there to provide the safest and most satisfying birth experience for our patients. The team of nurses that have left the department had years and years of experience, as well as a genuine commitment to our patients and community. It is important that the community understands that they did not leave for higher paying jobs. We left because the reasonable requests were largely ignored. We have been asking for a robust recruitment program to include adequate orientation, competitive pay, and decent benefits. We asked for a strong commitment to retain staff by offering opportunities for advancement, such as a clinical ladder and educational programs, among other things. We asked for respect for our contribution to the organization, skills, and devotion to our patients and team. We do not consider these to be unreasonable requests. Instead, allowing nurses to leave without an effort to address this issue has left us in the intolerable situation without a safe place to care for laboring and postpartum women and their babies. Delivering in the emergency department is not a suitable option. As a nurse in the OB clinic, I have witnessed the burden that finding an alternative location to give birth has placed on patients and providers. I can address the negative impact this is having, but I believe it is obvious to most of you. What we hope for is a stable, committed, and present administration that will address these issues to ensure the Gallup area can once again provide the medical care every community deserves. That was from Beatrix Nunez, written on September 24th, 2021. This is a testimonial from Tiffany Sacito. I am so grateful to the nurses, midwives, and doctors at RMCH. 
I delivered all four of my babies there during 2007, 2010, 2013, and 2018. I received my prenatal care at RMCH from Starla Willis, Linda King, and Michelle. My first labor and delivery experience was with Dr. Camps and Beatrix Nunez in the year 2007. I will always remember them, and if I run into them in town, I will always thank them for their care, their experience of becoming a mother, the experience of becoming a mother for the first time is something I will never forget. I am so thankful to the capable and intelligent staff that took care of me and my babies. In 2010, I delivered with Dr. Pugh. He was on call and I am so thankful to him and the delivery nurses that took care of me and my baby boy. In 2013, I went into labor in the middle of the night. Thankfully, we live in town because it happened very quickly. The midwife on call was on her way but the baby was too fast, and the nurse delivered my baby boy. In 2018, my labor and delivery nurse was Sarah Pickart. She gave me the best care and was understanding of my wishes. It happened very fast, and nurse Sarah delivered my baby girl. When she was born, the umbilical cord was wrapped around her tiny neck, and she was completely blue. Sarah's expertise made her capable and prepared to care for us. She was reassuring, amazing, and I am so thankful. We continue to keep in touch to this day and say our baby girl is partly hers. Only in this community does something that special happen. I absolutely loved the care I received from Mary Ipple. She was the support I needed to successfully breastfeed all of my babies. The support group I attended that first year as a mother was so meaningful and she was always available to help. Honestly, delivering each baby at RMCH was the most joyous and amazing experience. They were patient and reassuring during labor, delivery, and post-delivery. Delivering a baby can be very painful for some mothers. I received an epidural with my first two babies. The last two happened so fast there was not enough time. I am glad I had a chance to experience labor and delivery with and without an epidural. For my labor, I remember being unable to control myself from the pain I went through. Even more, with the two that had no medication for the pain. I was born at RMCHCS and was blessed to deliver my babies there. I can't imagine having to deliver in the ER or to commute far from home. I am devastated for all the babies and mothers that had planned to give birth at RMCH and no longer have that option. The birthing center, staff, and being so close to home is so comforting. It is the worst decision the administration has made to close this part of the hospital. It is reckless to put families in this situation. We live in a rural area and delivering a baby in the ER is dangerous and scary. It is not a place for a newborn baby or mother giving birth and it puts them both at risk. Even if they are capable, it is a very unique and beautiful experience to give birth. The OB-GYN doctors, nurses, and midwives are needed. They are invested in the safe delivery of babies in our community. The OB-GYN and Women's Health Unit is desperately needed at RMCH in Gallup, New Mexico. Sincerely, Tiffany Sacido.
you, Emma. Uh, now, uh, Sarah Pickard, I believe, is next in queue, but I'm going to let this gentleman speak since I had promised so. Uh, we'll give you a few moments, sir, and then uh, I think Sarah Pickhart will be next unless there's a question. Thank, thank you very much. My name is Tom Devlin. I was born and raised in Gallup. Um, m my question is, was, was the board of RMCH invited to this? Okay. Uh, I, I did send out word to the administration of RMCH. They declined to attend. So, are there any board members from RMCH here? At least one that might give a darn. The rest is, is, is self-answered. They don't care. Well, I, I can't speak to that. Uh, well, that's my opinion. All right. They're not here. They don't care. Uh, and it, my opinion, again, it's probably been hashed already. We have a sorry CEO appointed by a sorry and incompetent board. And that's, that's the main issue here. We need a competent board, a transparent board, and we've, for many, many years, have not had that. And uh, I don't know how that is going to be overcome, but I think that's one of the main issues there, and that's all I want to say. I hope things can be changed. Of course, I'm not going to, uh, when I heard that the, uh, delivery room or whatever was closing everything. I mean, I'm not going to have a child, of course, obviously. But this is my community, and it's important to many people in and around this community. And that's the reason I'm here. Thank, thank you, sir. Thank you. Uh, we're going to hear from Susan Pickard. I mean, not Sarah Pickard. It says Susan on the agenda, but it's Sarah, isn't it? All right. So after we hear from Sarah, um, there is a video from Tari Studd, but I think that if there's a sound problem from the computer with Zoom, you may have to unplug audio and hold up the uh, microphone to the speaker on the laptop that you're playing the video from. Now, um, Sarah, the floor is yours. Can you hear me? Okay. My name is Sarah Pickert and I became a registered nurse in 2011. I went to nursing school with one singular goal in mind, to work in the women's health unit at RMCH. Both of our daughters were born there and I was so impressed with the brilliant and compassionate care that I received from the nurses. I was drawn to this unit like a magnet. In the years prior to 2011, many friends and family members had asked me to be present with them during labor, to help them with their newborn care, and to help them achieve a successful start in breastfeeding. I eagerly agreed. It was such a privilege to be there. These experiences tugged at my heart. My sister-in-law, Chris, told me that sometimes God calls an individual to service directly, and sometimes God works through the community. I believe she was right. God used this community to call me to service. My very first nursing job was in the Women's Health Unit at RMCH. I worked there for nearly 10 years. That unit had my whole heart. And I considered it my home away from home. I knew I was right where I was meant to be. 
and I honestly thought I would work there forever. Keeping a specialized unit staffed in a rural hospital is challenging under the best of circumstances. And we went through some tough times. As nurses, we gave our blood, sweat, and tears to this work because of our love for patients, our coworkers, and our community. We relied on a combination of a solid core group of local nurses and some excellent travel nurses. Over these past 10 years, when I go to stores and restaurants in town, I often run into former patients and their babies. It is a delight to see them and to celebrate life with them. A couple of years ago, our unit was selected to be the beneficiary of the annual charity fundraiser. We were adequately staffed, and we were looking forward to a big renovation of our unit. It was an exciting time. How did we go from that to having babies deliver in a noisy, crowded emergency room? Well, there are some people who would like you to believe that what has happened is my fault, that this is the nurse's fault, that they would say, and they have said, that our resignations led to this. But the truth is, the nurses left because of problems which the hospital was not interested in fixing. Last fall, the nurses once again raised concerns over dangerously low staffing levels. We provided some background on our department and some of the struggles that we had been through over the years. Unfortunately, we were not heard. The problem with putting all this responsibility on our shoulders is that we could not carry this weight alone. The truth is, we found the work to be unsafe for our patients and unsafe for our own physical and mental health. When nurses um, are unable to give compassionate, competent, excellent care to their, to their patients because of low staffing, we reach a point where we have what's called secondary trauma. It is traumatic. Um, this is an impossible and cruel situation to be, to be placed in. We wanted to be able to reassure our patients that we would be there to give them excellent, compassionate care. We would move heaven and earth to do that. There was only one problem. There were not enough of us. In order to be, for a hospital to be competitive and recruit and retain nurses, the hospital must have three things that they offer to the nurses. Respect and support from administration for the work that the nurses do and for their specialized knowledge and skills safe staffing levels, and competitive wages. Uh, the administration of RMCH has failed us in all of these areas. The core group of local nurses in our department fought for these things, not only for ourselves, but because we knew that it was the only way that our services would be there for patients for years to come. Our requests were simple and clear, but unfortunately, they were not taken seriously. The concerns we raised were quickly dismissed and met with defensiveness and feigned confusion. My desire to resign from the my decision to resign from the unit 
was the hardest decision I have ever made in my entire life. I have grieved this job like I have never grieved anything before. My work sisters have similar feelings. I am not being dramatic when I say that we are mourning. These days, when I go to restaurants and stores in town, women come up to me with tears in their eyes. They ask me what on earth there is going on and where they are supposed to give birth. I tell them, I promise you, if I could be there for you, I would. But the work became unsustainable without the necessary support. They say that they understand. Neighbors, we as a community value safe, kind, and competent care. Do we value safe, competent, and kind care for our women and babies? If we as a community value these things, then we need to speak up for them. Over the past months, I have been asking who is responsible for making sure that people in McKinley County have the access to health care that we, we all need and deserve. Is it me? Is it you? I think it's all of us. I'm asking you, my neighbors, to wake up, to see what is happening, to get involved, and to demand better. We all deserve better. Thank you. Thank you, Sarah. Uh, before we move on, uh, who has the uh, video from Tori Studd? Does anyone have the video from Tori Studd, either on their phone or a computer? Uh, while that's being worked out, whether that's here, uh, the point is uh, that it will have to be held up to a microphone because the, uh, the, the situation with the laptops is not clear with regard to Zoom. Uh, Connie is... So um, I have a testimony from a, um, a community member who wishes to remain anonymous, and the reason for that is that she is afraid of retaliation from our MCH executive because she works there as an employee, but um, this individual very much wanted me to read this because she wanted to express how deeply she feels and cares for this community and this hospital. RMCHCS is where I call home. It is where I started my life and where I continue to live it. The hospital is also the building my children started their lives in and my grandmother lost hers. It's more than just a building, it is the keeper of so many memories in my life. The process of becoming a mother is scary and raw and having the proper care team is essential. I was blessed to have nurses that made me feel safe and listened to me. Nurse Beatrice comforted me when I didn't believe in myself. She reminded me of my strength and courage. Nurse Mary Ippel helped me breastfeed through supply issues and latch issues. Without her, I wouldn't have been able to nourish my children with my body, something that empowered me as a woman and a mother. Nurse Sarah Pickert took care of me after a pretty invasive surgery in the women's health recovery wing. She listened to my concerns, treated my pain, and held my hand when I felt alone. 
Because of poor decisions by current administration and choices that negatively impacted our nursing staff, these amazing nurses are no longer working the women's health unit. When I learned that the unit would close for all business because of these decisions, my heart broke. It broke for all of the women in our community that will not be able to deliver at home and will then have to travel elsewhere to give birth. When looking at the sacredness of birth, one has to consider how traumatizing it is to uproot yourself and your family to give birth in another town or in an emergency room during a pandemic. The choices of current administration have created a perfect storm that will create generational trauma to members of our community. I fully support the provider's union because under a provider union, this closing of the women's health unit would not have happened. Under a nurse's union, this closing would not have happened. Current hospital administration is not putting the health, well-being, and needs of our community to the forefront. They are putting profit over people and they are not invested in our community. They are making decisions that are impacting multiple generations of patients, and then they are packing their bags and flying home while our community suffers. As a community, we must fight to take back our hospital. We must fight for the woman who is terrified of traveling while pregnant or in labor to a hospital she does not know to give birth with nurses that do not know her. RMCHCS is my home. It's our home. Thank you, Connie. Uh, we're we're uh, a little short on time at this point. Uh, while we're figuring out whether there's a video from Tori Studd available, uh, is, is there someone here who's going to be reading a statement from Mary Ipple? All right, could you come forward and read Mary Ipple's statement then, please? And introduce yourself, too. Thank you. Hello, my name is Mary Poole, and I've been a pediatrician in this community for 40 years. And Mary Ipple is a, is a good friend of mine, so I'm reading her statement. My name is Mary Ipple, and I worked for RMCH for 28 years. Most of those years, I worked to support women in labor and in the postpartum period. I worked as a lactation consultant to help women have a successful start with breastfeeding. This career has been an incredible gift to me. The staff I worked with are amazing. But this past year, I felt it was time to leave due to the upheaval of administration and the decreasing number of staff to carry on providing safe care to our patients. It has been an ongoing issue to recruit and retain nurses, which impacts physicians as well as overall quality of care for our patients. After months of this battle, I felt I could not fight this particular battle anymore. I have come to believe respect and appreciation are key to staff retention, and these things have been missing at RMCH for a while now. Every new administration that comes in is starting from scratch. How do you build that when you don't know the history? You don't know the stories that came before. I carry a heavy weight in my heart for the fate of the hospital. And I'd like to make an editorial comment. Um, a couple years ago, we had um, Dr. Walker, then Dr. Hannah Palm came, and we had the Heal Fellows. We also had a great group of nurses in women's health which of course all of us pediatricians rely on. And I thought we were building a great pediatric group as well so that we could keep sick babies here instead of sending them to Albuquerque where sometimes it was very difficult for their families to visit them and to take care of them and bond with them. 
Now we will not have um, OBs. We, we don't have the great nurses that we've had in the past. In fact, one of Mr. Smithberg's statement is that we know that nursing shortage all over the country, and that's why we're having a hard time recruiting uh, nurses for our women's health unit. But the fact is, we didn't have to lose all those nurses that have left, all those testimonies you've just heard. And you've heard why. They went to administration, they talked to them, they told them of their concerns, and they were not listened to. They were probably just patted on the back. And I think part of it was, is that that unit ran so smoothly and everybody would work extra um, shifts. They would, they would help each other out and they worked great together. But then when they didn't get any respect from the, from the administration, especially on these simple things like Sarah talked about that they requested, they just felt they couldn't work there anymore. And, and that's why I, along with many of the other physicians here, have decided that we really need to have a union so that we as physicians can stick up for the nurses. We're not necessarily in the union to, to pad our bank accounts or to do anything. We're in the union to make sure that our patients are safe and make sure that we have the personnel that we need to meet the needs of this community. A lot of us have been here many years. I see Dr. Camps here. He's probably delivered, what, thousands of babies here, and he's still in the community. But um, that's why we're in this. It's not for ourselves, it's for our community and our patients. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Poole. Uh, we're going to try to play the video from uh, Tori Stud. Uh, could someone hold up a microphone to the speaker of the laptop so that we can better hear it? It may not be working. We may, you may need to All right, uh, let, while you're uh, figuring out what, how to make that work, uh, Let's proceed to having uh, Joan Benati come up. Uh, she has a statement, a uh, testimonial to read. Uh, we'll get to you, sir, as soon as the testimonials are done. Good afternoon. My name is Joanne Beninati, but I'm reading a statement um, from a registered nurse who cannot be here, um, Sanaa Baker, and she writes, to whom it may concern. I have lived in Gallup, New Mexico for over 15 years now. Gallup is where my husband and I have lost a child to fetal demise in the third trimester and later gained two healthy, beautiful children. I cannot begin to express the importance of having such compassionate care while expecting a child, especially during a high-risk pregnancy. This was possible because of our women's health unit. After our heartbreaking fetal demise, it was the nurses from the WHU who called to check on me, offered words of support, and continuously ensured I knew I was not alone. If it was not for the quick thinking of the staff at the WHU, I might not have survived, and my husband would have lost a son and a wife that day. My now 13-year-old son was found to be in distress eight weeks before his due date, 
The WHU staff are the reason we had an emergency cesarean and saved him from oxygen deprivation and even death after he wrapped his nuchal cord around his neck three times. My third personal experience with the WHU was when my three-year-old daughter was born. The staff kept me calm, ensured my baby's safety, and ensured I knew what was going on. She remained in the hospital for two weeks, requiring supplemental oxygen. The WHU staff cared for her and ensured she received the best care possible. They constantly updated the respiratory therapists and pediatrician to ensure all members of the team were on the same page. I have been a registered nurse for over 10 years. For over two of those years, I was honored to work at RMCHCS at the WHU. During that time, I witnessed situations where the staff band together to ensure each patient received the safest care. This included coming in early, skipping lunches, staying late, and, of course, working short-staffed. There were countless times it was very difficult to get through the shift, but we always found a way to keep the patients safe and cared for regardless of our hardships. I was in disbelief when I heard the WHU is closing. Closing this unit will certainly impact our community and the ability to provide the care they require. I worry for those who are expecting and wonder where they will receive their care. Where will they receive emergency services in the case where their child is premature or in distress? Will GIMC be able to handle the influx of patients due to this closure? We are putting women and tiny humans at risk because administrators at RMCHCS could not get their act together. This is not okay, and closure of the unit should never have been considered as a solution. It is time that we clean up this mess and figure out a long-term solution for the sake of our community. This is from Sanaa Baker, MSN, APRN, FNPC. Thank you. Thank, thank you so much for reading that, Joanne. All right, uh, Lindsay, could you come up? Uh, we have a testimonial in person, then we have a, a written testimonial that Betsy will be sharing after uh, Lydia Rinaldi comes up. Hello, everybody. My name is Lindsay Mingus, and I am an educator in this community um, and a local now. I've been here nine years and plan to stay. I have had two of my children at RMCH, both coming with their own set of difficulties. Um, Beatrice Nunez was actually my delivery nurse with both of them, and to say that having that same labor and delivery nurse to be part of my both of my children's um, entrance into this world was comforting, knowing that she had been with me both times. Sarah Pickert was the nurse on duty the night that I went in with my second child, Benjamin. I drove myself to the hospital um, after my water broke in the middle of the night because we don't have family here. And my husband was at home with my, at the time, three-year-old. So I took myself in and Sarah came and checked on me multiple times um, until shift change and my husband could get there. Benjamin was born at 1.07 p.m. 
after a very um, quick labor. Um, I had had all of my care at Red Rock Clinic with the midwives and the OBs there, and Benjamin was literally caught by a locum doctor um, and my uh, and Beatrice. Benjamin had a birth diagnosis of trisomy 21. Those of you that don't know what trisomy 21 is, he has Down syndrome, and he was then care-flighted to UNM. Beatrice stayed with me through shift change um, until he was flown away at 9 p.m. And that meant so much to me because we had to make a decision not having the support system here. My newborn child, who was supposed to be a girl, was just ripped from me. And the nurses at RMCH stayed with me. They checked in on me throughout the night. Um, one of the nurses who took care of me in that postpartum period, Mary, I don't remember her last name, she offered to make me a sandwich at 2 a.m. as I was up pumping, trying to have nourishment to take to my child at the UNM NICU. The closing of the labor and delivery unit is devastating to this community because those women and nurses and care providers take care of not only the moms, the infants, but their families. And my heart breaks for this community and the expecting moms and families who now are scrambling to find their care. Going to Albuquerque isn't always an option for women in this area. I know that that's not something that I am able to do. And we need to reinstate the L&D unit here for our families and our community. Thank you. Thank you, Lindsay. Uh, we're running out of time. I have a quick statement from Dr. Lydia Rinaldi, and then we'll have uh, Betsy up here to read one last testimonial. Good afternoon. Uh, I fully applaud all the staff. Hi, Rosemary and kind of doing the drastic measures that you're needing to be doing for the drastic situation that we're in. Um, a couple things I was thinking about during the testimonies, and so sad to hear some of this testimony, and the compassion for this community is just pretty amazing, but a couple things. One statement was made that uh, I think this hospital situation, like the gentleman here was saying, is everybody's problem. It's not just, or everybody's responsibility, it's not just the responsibility of the CEO or the board. It's everybody's responsibility. It's the responsibility of economic development. We can't have a community without a hospital. It's responsibility of the council, the mayor, the, the, the county commissioners who of course aren't here. So it's kind of like we're kind of preaching to the choir at this point so if no one's around. But you know, somebody made a comment, call your elected officials. Well, five or seven years ago, whenever we had this same kind of similar forum, we were calling the elected officials, and one of them, who's my city councilman, was actually on the board, and he was advocating like the closure of departments because it's a money issue. And it's like, you just can't just close things down. 
you know, there is funding. There's some way to find the funding, either through the, con through the state, through the federal, through some situations to find the money. So it seems like whenever there's a problem, you know, we talk to the city council, they're like, well, that's really a county issue because the, the hospitals are on the county, like not our job kind of situation. It's everyone's job. And, you know, clearly it's a, a job everyone in the community. So the point I was going to make earlier from what you're talking about transparency, doctor, also is, uh, doctor and doctor, is as a business owner, just like Mr. Smith was saying, he ran a business for years, and every business has statistics. I mean, maybe you're not going to sit there and graft what you're doing all day long, but there's a statistic for everything you do in your business. As a local dentist, I mean, your, your software provides all this information. And like, you know, on a bi-monthly basis, we're just looking at statistics. How do we do in this department? What's going on over here? Are we, are, we, are we delivering the care over here? So the hospital has to have statistics of everything. And even through multiple medical journals uh, and dental journals of, of economics, you know, there's, it'll list, here's the top 10 statistics of a dental practice you need to be looking at. The same th thing would go to the hospital. Well, there's your transparency. You have to have numbers to look at. You can't just say, is the hospital doing okay or not doing okay? Are the people happy, not happy? I mean, you have to have numbers to say, what money's coming in, what money, what money's going out, how are we spending money here? You know, is the administrative staff too high on the numbers? Are we not, do we not have enough staff over here? Whatever, are the physicians getting paid appropriately? There's numbers to be had. And these are the numbers that should be looked at on a monthly basis from the county commissioners, from the economic development committee, from the city council to say, what is this hospital doing? Look, this number is way down according to the national average. Look, this number is way down according to the national average. Or, hey, we're doing great in this department. That way, the opportunity, there's your statistics and there's your transparency right there. The board needs to know also what they need to be looking at. So this is what the CEO and the administration should be providing the staff and providing the county and providing the city and providing the community Here's what we're doing. Here's our statistics. Here's what's happening. So that's one way to look at, and that's the basics of, any, of running any business. That's all. Thank you very much. Thank you, Dr. Lipke. Uh, just, we're running out of time, so uh, we're going to have Betsy read the last written testimonial that we have time for. Then we're going to have Phil Camps come up, and then Mayor Bonaguidi, and then we're going to open it up for any other elected or government officials, or even uh, RMCH uh, uh, advisory members. Okay, this is a, a public comment by Dr. Kathy Mezoff. As a pediatrician who was devoted to Rehoboth McKinley Christian Healthcare Services from 1980 through my retirement in 2014, I have watched in dismay the recent conflicts and lack of administrative support for providers and nurses and other staff, leading to resignations, firings, closings of vital hospital departments and inadequate resources for patient care in our rural community. I support the movement for unionizing by providers and staff in hopes of recovering the sense of cohesiveness, communication, and courage that has allowed RMCH to be a flagship of caring in this community for so many years. Without deep listening and mutual concern from the other, no organization can survive, much less thrive. Dr. Kathy Mezoff, retired pediatrician. All right. Um, Betsy, can I have the printed testimonial you have for uh, Richard Reyes from the Gallup Independent? We're going to provide written uh, testimonials to uh, the Gallup Independent. Next, uh, Philip, Phil, Will, would you like to share? Is 
then uh, Mayor Bonacquiti will be up and we'll open it up to uh, elected officials, uh, anybody from RMCA? I'm Phil Camps. Uh, little comments about some historical things. We talked a little bit about mergers and uh, it was a tough time back in 1980 when we started talking about merger and uh, we said, oh my, we don't need to do that. We're, we're strong, we're tough, we don't have to get together. But after uh, three years we did and it's a good thing we did. And it seems to me at this point we're also to that situation where no one has uh, mentioned quote mergers but we need one hospital in Gallup not two and uh, it's time to uh, to get that going uh, I know there will be people who say that can't happen but it can it's happened in other places in the country and it can happen here and we need to do that we're too small to have two hospitals and way back when when hospitals were uh, not providing the kind of um, various specialized things, beds were the important thing and just a place to be. But today you need much more than that and uh, you can't have that with uh, two hospitals. We, we just need one and we need good solid care there. Uh, we, I wanted to mention something about money. Uh, money is very, very important and I want to just show you or read something to you. I had a visit with a physician in this community. Uh, the bill was uh, $253 for the visit. I say, well, that's a little bit high perhaps. My insurance company discounted 164. Uh, that's quite a bit. Uh, so they approved uh, $88 and they paid $88. That's not nearly enough. Uh, for the visit I had. So uh, part of, the, and I've got other things here with laboratory where uh, RMCH charges a certain amount, it's discounted a certain amount and they get paid one test particularly, $5 for a hemoglobin A1C. Well, this is kind of ridiculous. I mean, by the time you do the paperwork, you've got nothing left really for the laboratory, I mean, it's just silly. And uh, so anyway, we need one hospital in this community and we need to get it going. And uh, I think, uh, well, that's all I'll say. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Kent. Well, we don't have time today to, to discuss the merits of mergers, IHS, uh, independent hospital like RMCH. I would encourage you all to share on Facebook. Again, we'll be posting documents up on kglp.org in our PSAs and events section. Uh, and now call on Mayor Bonaguidi, and then we're going to invite any elected uh, representatives, uh, council members, city, uh, county commission, uh, RMCH board, etc. Mayor? I'm Louis Bonaguidi, and I am the mayor of our community. Uh, you know, I've always taken the hospital for granted. It was always there. I mean, uh, I'm a lifelong resident of Gallup. I my kids were born in the hospital. My grandkids were born in the hospital. 
and I lost my wife three years ago. But the hospital was always there. I mean, it was people we knew. It was Dr. John Camps. It was Dr. Phil Camps. The nurses were all community people that we knew. Even the loss of my wife, it was, it was comforting to know because there was sympathy for the hospice, everything that was there. But the last few times I've been to the hospital, it's not that way at all. It's contract nurses, people from somewhere else. And I'm thinking to myself, we got contract nurses, that means we're paying them an exorbitant amount of money to be there, but we're also paying the company they work for. I mean, I don't know, you know, it's, it's, it's puzzling to me, it's perplexing for sure. Last week I did have a Zoom meeting with Dr. Lauder, and he brought to my attention stuff that I had never known, you know, and I still don't know a bunch about the hospital, I, you know, I mean, but I did promise him that I would be here today because I do, I am interested in Gallup for sure. We can't be without a hospital. We can't be without a hospital. And so what's, what I'm listening to today, I'm going to take it to, to heart. The, the, the city has never been involved with a hospital. It's always been the county. But uh, we can definitely be a grain of uh, sand in that uh, muscle to turn it into a pearl, if anything. I mean, we will do whatever we can. And with that being said, I don't have any other testimony or anything else, but the only thing I am going to say is we are definitely interested in the hospital. Thank you. Thank you, Mayor. Uh, next up, we have uh, Councillor Garcia, who will be speaking, but quickly, I have a comment from online. This will have repercussions across, this will have uh, repercussions across our community for all. GMCS needs teachers right now, and if people can't have their babies here locally, that might detour expecting people from living here. Why aren't decision makers more concerned? Um, Anyone who has written testimonials, uh, the Gallup Independent needs those. So if you can't give the paper, at least email those to um, manager at kglp.org so that I can forward those to the Gallup Independent, or Richard can provide the direct email he'd like those sent to. Good afternoon. Thank you for the invitation. Um, Council Linda Garcia. I am here along with Mayor Bonacuiri and other councillors because we are concerned. We're citizens here and we are going to demand our hospital to have quality care for the people in Gallup and the surrounding areas. We will be here to support you. Uh, we, we're not a fiscal agent. Uh, the, the commissioners are here and I wish there was a county manager and the commissioners are here but we can have meetings and meetings like this are very important. We had a um, meeting two weeks ago about crime in Gallup, because crime in Gallup is also up. And so we were saying we're going to take Gallup back. And so that's what we're going to do. And the shortage of officers that we have in Gallup is not because that we're, we're, we're trying to give them incentives, we're trying to do everything we can as a city of Gallup. But as you know, what's going on in the world today with our officers, there's, also, there's a shortage and nobody wants to be an officer, which I don't blame them, but I do respect them very highly, as, a, as well as our doctors and our nurses here. And I want to thank you and commend you all for taking that cause up for the city of Gallup and for us to continue to do the fight. And we will fight with you, okay? We need to have more community meetings like this to get the attention of the community that, and us as counselors, 
commissioners. We need to get our state representatives involved. We need to get the state uh, involved in, in having the quality care in Gallup that we deserve. And, and, and we, de we should be demanding that immediately. Um, so we had a meeting about a month ago also. The governor came into town. And it was with the commissioners and the city council and the mayor and doctors and the CEO from Rehoboth. And nothing was ever mentioned about a crisis like this that was going on. They just mentioned also that there was a, a shortage of nurses that they could not also get. So the governor said she was going to go into it and, and see how we can get help in Gallup and, and the state of New Mexico. So we're going to push for her to come and, and get her to help us in Gallup, New Mexico. Thank you very much. Thank you, Councillor Garcia. Uh, is there anyone else from local government or RMCH uh, board who would like to speak? Just come up to the mic if you can. If there is anyone else have, we'll offer one more opportunity for questions if there is anyone who would like to ask a question before we hand it over to Rachel Flores. Yes, go ahead. Come up and ask your question or speak. You have a, give yourself a minute or so. My name is Betsy Meester and uh, I'm a resident of Gallup and a former employee of Rehoboth McKinley. I resigned my position about um, three or four weeks ago. Uh, my role at the hospital was not in nursing and I just want to draw attention to the fact that the issues are not just about the women's health department, although that, that is a crisis and a legitimate problem, a real problem. Um, my role was to communicate with insurance companies for anyone who was admitted to the hospital. So basically proving that these people needed to be in the hospital. And so in doing that, I had to attend rounds every day so that I knew what was going on. And I'll just say that it's very hard to deal with insurance companies when the contracts that our hospital has with those insurance companies are 40 years old and no one has updated them. <laughs> so when I have to say I need this or I need that, I, I have no leg to stand on then with the insurance companies. They can tell me to do whatever they want. So sometimes cases would get denied because I was half an hour late and I have no recourse because there's nothing updated saying what is required. So there's that. Also, I wanted to just say that culturally competent care is so important and it sometimes happens when you have doctors and nurses coming in and out so frequently. We've got doctors telling our Navajo elders that they can't go back to their homes because it's not safe. And they've lived in those Hogans for generations and generations and they've got this doctor telling them that their home isn't safe. And I just found that to be really insulting to our community. So I wanna care about the culturally competent care, which why, is why it upset me so much that they um, dismissed Dr. Lauber. And lastly, I'll say this, um, I have a daughter who is compromised lungs due to severe asthma her whole life. I have a contingency plan for if she gets COVID. 
If she gets COVID, I'm not staying in Gallup. I'm gonna go to Albuquerque in case she needs to go to the emergency room. And I'm gonna do that because I've talked to our ER doctors. I've talked to a lot of people who've had the experience of going there and it's not a nice experience. I've been in rounds when they say, oh, we can't give you the test you need because we don't have a sonographer here for the next four days. We don't have a LexiScan for the next three weeks. So you just have to sit in the hospital. And it's not fair to the community and I wouldn't put my own family through that. And that's part of the reason why I resigned because I felt um, like a fraud working for the hospital because I really believe, and as a, I'll just say finally, as a Christian person, to have the name of Jesus associated with some of the things that I saw is so upsetting to me on a deeply spiritual level, I just couldn't be involved anymore. So at the risk of hurting the feelings of people that I love very much, like Dr. Poole and Sarah and others who are working so hard to do the right thing, I just say, uh, I just say that. Thank you so much. Dr. Hoover will speak, and then I'm giving the floor to Rachel Flores. I want to thank you for sharing that. Um, you may all notice the conspicuous absence of any of our medical assistants, the people that answer the phones, the people with whom you and your family members interface the most at the hospital, right? The public face of RMCH. They're not here because our administration very shamefully has created a culture of fear. Not a single one of our medical assistants feels respected, feels safe, feels like they're able to bring up their concerns about safety issues, like we've talked about before, or their substandard pay levels. They can't bring those things up because they have been told to their faces that medical assistants are easy to replace. It takes me six months to train somebody to be able to, to do a good job in the urology clinic. Six months. Admin's fine with, with having low productivity for six months after six months after six months. Apparently, if they want to replace these medical assistants. So one thing I really appreciate about the voice that we just heard is that it's absolutely right. It's not just the women's health unit. It's not just the doctors. It's the workers at the hospital. That's what this labor movement is about, right? Pun intended, I guess. Um, we, we need a voice. We need to, to restore some balance to the, the power dynamic that's at the hospital right now so that we can ask for things that we think are reasonable, that we think are safe, that we think our patients, who are us, need and want. Thank you, Dr. Hewitt. 
Uh, we're out of time, so I'm handing the floor over to Rachel Flores, who I believe is uh, with UAPD. I'm going to yield some of my time to you, of course. Sorry, I just wanted to take one second. Is this? Can you all hear me? Yeah. I'm very tall. Yeah, I'm just really tall. Um, I'm Dr. Palm, Dr. Hannah Palm. I'm one of the OBGYNs at RMCH. Dr. Casey Sauter is here as well. We just want to say we're here supporting the community. You know, we came out here and I came out here and moved my partner out here as well to start a career because we want to be here in Gallup and being forced to like help our patients find care somewhere else is very hard for us. You know, these are patients who are, you know, pouring our heart and soul into patients who are very near and dear to us that we've walked through nine months of their pregnancy with and having to ha watch them, you know, have to struggle to figure out where to deliver, have to deliver in a place where they don't know anybody. You know, it's just, it's been very, very difficult for us, um, not to mention the difficulty with our patients. Um, I, I made the very difficult decision to resign because I felt like this hospital was not providing safe patient care, and I took an oath as a physician to provide safe patient care. I'm not planning on leaving this community. I want to stay here. I want to continue to deliver care here, but I want to do it in a way that is safe for the patients here because that's what they deserve. That's all. Thank you. Yes, Dr. Andrade, please step forward. Are you okay with us going over on time? It's a very important issue. Hi, I'm Dr. Lawrence Andrade. I think a lot of people know who I am. I was uh, raised here in Gallup. I own Family Medicine Associates. I just want to testify to the administration's vindictiveness, pettiness, anger, vengefulness. I was asked by the county commissioners and the county manager to go to the July 15th meeting where Don Smithberg presented. He brought up several points which I rebutted, factual points, one of which he lied, said Dr. Lauber was not escorted off properties, even though it's a proven fact he was let off like a common criminal. Mr. Smithberg lied, said I was lying. After the meeting was over at the county commissioner, Don Smithberg, the best that CHC can give us, approached me, got in my face, started telling me I was promoting lies and spreading malicious rumors because he did not give me hospital privileges. I told him I'm in private practice. I don't need hospital privileges. I am not affiliated with RMCH. He then told me, you're angry and bitter because I kicked you out of RMCH. That's another falsehood. I'm private practice. I have courtesy privileges, which I mentioned to him. At which point, he got in my face and said, be a man. I said, excuse me, are you threatening me? He got in my face again and said, be a man. I said, are you threatening me? If so, let's go closer so they can hear what you're saying to me. Since we are in church, I am not going to repeat what he said to me then. But it was fork you, but the four letter F-U-C-K, to my face. And then walked off. So is this the best that we as my community can get? Is this the best person to run our community? I've been mulling this over, mulling this over. Do we get a petition? Get 10,000 of our citizens demanding CHC, our board, and Don Smithberg, who doesn't even live here, get the heck out of our community. I do not know what we need to do. 
It's been asked, can I run the hospital? I think the best our community, I feel like our county commissioners are falling on deaf ears. I feel like our cities, people are probably just tired and they're tired of everything going on. What, can, what worse can happen if we turn over the hospital to a local group of doctors to run it? I certainly think we can't get any worse. I certainly think we can do better. I don't have a fancy MBA, a fancy business degree, a fancy CEO license, but I'm pretty sure I run a pretty successful business in town and I pour my heart and soul out to my community. We need to take it back. Thank you. Are you on board, community? Are you on board? Are you ready to take your hospital back? Yeah. All right. So thank you for the opportunity. We're happy to be here. I just want to call up a few of the folks that made this possible in a short time. I'd like to call up Betsy and Pam, Dr. Lauber, if you'll please come forward. I want the community to know who has contributed. Dr. Liu. Rachel Cobb stepped in, her assistant. I mean, in a short time, we were able to put this together. And if I'm forgetting someone, Doug, please come forward. Pastor Adrian, donating the church. We could not have done this without Doug. That's right. Come forward, Doug. Uh, and just uh, not to keep the, you here longer, but we passed out packets today, and there's a call for action. We want you to call city council. We want you to call the commissioners. And we want you to contact the board of directors. Unfortunately, the website to the hospital doesn't provide any contact information to the board of directors. So um, we're working on getting information. We really appreciate your support. And I also want to add that uh, last Saturday, there was an ad in the paper, if you saw the article, where it had some faces and names that, of folks who signed the petition. Do you recall seeing that ad? That ad was presented to workers this week, and I can't say if it was Don Smithberg, but it was leadership at the hospital. They called the staff in, and they said, if any one of you, if we find your name on this petition, and we're scanning through the names, or if one of your family members signed the petition, watch out. This is the environment that the workers are working in. This is... The, Every day they go to work in fear. Nobody should be in fear when they go to work. For that reason, we've come here to Gallup and doctors organize because they, they want a voice. Professionals, many of them are in fear as well. Some of them couldn't be here. But we need you to stand up. Are you with the workers from the hospital? Yeah. Right? So we'll be asking you to take some action. We need some of you to go to visits with us. City Council, we need you to visit the um, commissioners with us. We need to band together and do some work. And I'm just happy for this opportunity. If anybody wants to say anything before, Doug, you want to say any words? I don't like having my job be threatened. Ready? Can you get to the microphone? April 27, 2020, my husband Sam took me to the emergency room at RMCH. I was admitted for COVID-19 and moved to a private room. Every few hours, medical professionals, medical assistants, administered care and treatment to me. 
I was discharged after one week on home oxygen. When I experienced chest pain, my PCP nurse practitioner, Elizabeth Barnes, ordered an X-ray, RMCH. It indicated a caviation, my lung caused by bacterial pneumonia. Immediately, I began strong antibiotic treatment. Within a month, I no longer needed oxygen. A CAT scan of my lungs indicated ground glass appearing damage. I'm a COVID-19 survivor. I don't believe I would be standing here today without the swift, courageous, skilled nursing staff and x-ray and CAT scan technicians, as well as medical professionals and lab workers at RMCH do not allow us to lose our hospital. Thank you, thank you. One final ask. Uh, so I'd like all of you who are, are willing to come forward, I'd like to ask the workers from the hospital to stand in front and the community behind them. We'd like to take a photo uh, while, you're, while you're coming forward. So workers in front, community behind them, we want to send a message. We want the workers to know that you have their back, even those that are not here because they're afraid to be here today. Please come forward and show them that you are behind them. And while you're doing that, please visit our website, www.uapd.com slash Rehoboth, sign the petition, and tell a friend. Come forward, and if our photographers could please help us with the photo. So, workers in front, community behind. And thank you to our panelists. Thank you, panelists. <laughs>